0: Uh, hello, everybody. James here, and it is, of course, Franchise University with Shane Douglas. There he is, the franchise himself, <laughs> the most famous three fingers that will go what, whatever way, whatever they, whatever way they're going to go this week. So uh, we're going to be very quick. We're going to be talking about NWA TNA episode sixty-two, or as one website described it, sixty-one. So it's a bit confusing <laughs> which number this damn thing is, but it was September 17th, uh, 2003. We left off talking about Mad Mikey and Boy versus Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger. And the reason why I picked this episode for Shane and I to watch and review is because Shane is, of course, in the main event against Raven and hair versus hair match. We will be talking about that later because... Damn, there's a lot to talk about that episode. It (laughs) is one match, and let me tell you, there's a lot of things that go on and go in and go out, the whole bit. But uh, for now, we're going to talk about the semi-main event. NWA champion AJ Styles versus Jerry Lynn. There is a promo vignette leading up to it. Uh, Lynn seems to be getting a title shot for a reason that I'm not quite sure why. I suppose if you're watching every week, it'd be more obvious, but we're not. But... The nicest guy in wrestling, Jerry Lynn. So I, I've never had the pleasure, never spoke to Jerry, but uh, from guy, everyone else I yeah. hear, is Jerry's
1: a, a top man. Almost as nice as me. <laughs> 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 no, he's Jerry's on a different level nicely. He, like me, if I get angry about something, I'll use about 96 F-bombs. <clears throat> Jerry, will, You ask Jerry about it, and he'll go, oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's him like being me, 96 F-bombs. Yeah, he's... Pretty, you want to check for a pulse on 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 Jerry? (laughs) Even keeled guy, but he's yeah, he's a a good dude. Yeah, we keep bringing up
0: people who have seemingly all the tools to make it bigger in the business, and maybe Jerry falls into that as well, where he had a good run in the last uh, year or two in ECW, especially you know his uh, uh, matches with Rob Van Dam. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, some some great matches as well. And he comes up at the same time as Sean Waltman, I believe, in the Indies when they're both kids. And mm-hmm. I suppose just more stories about Jerry, uh, really, because at the moment he's a producer agent with AEW, so he's always been he's been around in, in the business for longer than I've been watching. That's for certain.
1: Yeah, Jerry's one of those guys. <clears throat> I I never liked the Mister JL thing. Oh, God. I'm not, i am not forgot about that. You know that? Yeah, it was just you know. Uh, Jerry is I think because of his personality when you meet him and talk to him he's so like like my youngest son they have his term now he's chill right mm-hmm. Jerry was chill before chill was cool um but it's it's just he's not a very over the top guy in much of what he does but when you watch him in the ring whether under the mask or not and you'd watch it and you think man he's like really going at it and they, they that little extra grit of effort. Like when he would, you know, have him up, getting ready to hit his uh, his driving pile driver, and he would reach, you know, hook him, and then there'd be the reach over, and then, the, you know, he had all the mannerisms, all the expressions, and that grit that really stick to it and go at it. Uh, that was what was missing, I think, with the JL, was like that was being lost, that you couldn't see that part of Jerry. But later, when he would get the opportunity to work with Rob, and we talked about Rob, I think, last episode you know, about how, uh, uh, you know, just really stick to his guns on things that he wasn't straight up. What I what I would say, like in the world I come from, he's a straight up man. And uh, he, he, those two had such a great chemistry and knew exactly how to play off of each other. That it, it really, you know, there's those rare instances in your career where you have those matches with, with that perfect opponent and that it just sort of goes into auto Glide, you know, it just sort of happens. And that was what it always looked like when those two worked to me was that there were, you you never got the impression that they were out there doing spots to get the match over. It always looked to me like they were both working to win the match, which is what it's supposed to look like. And because like Jerry, you know, uh, uh, Rob had had a, a fairly decent push in WCW. Uh, would, would get much more later. And then of course his huge run in WWF, but Jerry had never quite had that. Jerry was sort of that, like nobody really quite knew what he had to offer. And, you know, you go back and you watch him. Jerry's never going to go out and put himself over in an interview. Uh, he's probably not even going to talk about himself. And if he does, he might say something like, you know, I I was, I was pretty good. I was okay. You know, and you know, he's not going to toot his own horn. But Jerry was uh, one of those guys, like for me, as the mouthpiece for the company, when you saw him come in, you realized, like, man, this guy's going to – the fans would love him, right, because those fans in the ECW arena were looking for that little extra grit, that little extra effort, that 11 out of a 12 attempt – I mean, 11 out of 10 attempt. That You know, you're really putting that extra into it. And I think a lot of the guys, especially in that X division or more recently spot monkey stuff where they're just so adept at doing it, that it just, they do it and just glide onto the next thing and do it and glide onto the next thing. Jerry made it look but next thing. Hmm. like It was always that, that bam, like right at the end of it. And that's what I'm talking about. Like that, that I can't even put the right word to it, but that grit, that effort Uh, it's, you know, it's the Bret Hart wrenching back and veins in his neck bulging when he's got Steve Austin in the, uh, in the sharpshooter. Jerry had that and you never saw that under the JL mask. And suddenly here he is in ECW smaller. Okay. Yeah. But again, ECW sort of blurred that line. So by time Jerry starts getting that run. And then of course, when he gets the run with Rob, you know, Rob was at the peak of his game, uh, and Jerry was coming into the peak of his game. And so those were the matches that you used to love to watch, you know, for the TV title. So it was usually on before mine. I could sit down and that would just get me in the right frame because uh, you knew they were going to have a long match. You knew they were going to have a good match. And it also gave you some ideas of like, okay, let's not repeat this. Let's not, not that I could do a lot of the moves that those guys could do, but let's not repeat the same kind of story, the same kind of psychology. Tell a little bit different. And <clears throat> those guys never failed to – to drive the exclamation point and then scratch that into the concrete at the end of the sentence. But they left it open for you to be able to follow it so that you could do the main event coming after that. They didn't go out there and hit everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, just real pros, both of them. And I, Jerry's one of those guys, again, that I think when you we sit there and we talk oh, who's your Mount Rushmore? Mm-hmm. You know, there's th- those guys that we often just don't even pop into our head because they're like a, not in that place in our head, but when you go back and watch Jerry's work and, uh, and, and you know him and and his temperament and you see what, what he's delivering out there, like, man, there's, you, you, you'd be hard pressed to watch any of those matches that he and Rob had and go, okay, that was a good match, but, and then give some backhanded compliment or criticism. They, they took it out there and elevated the bar for ECW for all of us. And that was important to accompany the size of UCW at that time.
0: Now, AJ versus Jerry Lynn. The uh, two matches beforehand where we talked about last week, uh, it was, I mean, we barely talked about it. It was just a six-man and it was uh, yeah. X divisions like, you have a go, then you have a go, and, da, 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 and then someone wins, and mm-hmm. that's that. Whereas you can really see far more quality shine through, which is ostensibly an ex-division match because it's AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn, neither are going to be heavyweights in, in pro wrestling standards at the time. But there's something far more hard-hitting. I'll give you a couple uh, of things. Too many big moves to mention except for uh, except Lynn folds up AJ Styles with a running powerbomb that looked a little scary because he landed quite high up. But I've always got him in my mind the whole... Uh, draws things specifically with that move mm-hmm. uh, a fine brain buster from styles Two trinity interferes after the kryptonite crunch but aj puts uh his foot on the rope anyway because i guess aj didn't trust trinity to to do it uh, <laughs> but a uh, neck breaker on a chair kick out then aj hits a styles clash for the clean win a very good match and apparently um a contemporary report said it was one of their worst matches Of of that (laughs) year, so if that's their worst match, then crikey! Think about how great the the the, uh, great matches are. Then uh, afterwards, uh, a legit tough guy Vince Russo, I've written here, turns up in his black pajamas again with a baseball bat to congratulate AJ and demands an answer from Don Callis regarding uh, he or Piper in TNA. Then uh, country music plays. Dusty Rhodes comes out, walks out, and the fans chant, we want flair, <laughs> which, which did make me laugh. Um, Dusty says he'll stick the bat up AJ's ass. Uh, Dusty says AJ and Russo's decision to leave us on them and not TNA, baby. Dusty tries <laughs> to talk AJ into dumping Russo. AJ hands the bat to Dusty, and then AJ attacks Dusty. Basically, AJ stays uh, with uh, uh, Vince Russo. And then Roddy Piper comes out and then uh, is taken away by security because at this time there are two competing backstage security teams as well which uh, I also didn't (laughs) know, but I had to look up to find out afterwards.
1: Uh,
0: Mike Tanay and uh, Don West run down the card, then it's to the back. Callis throws Piper out of the asylum. Jarrett is angry and Lapel grabs Callis. Now, here we go. Here's the main event. There is a vignette. Raven and Shane Douglas. The build-up, including Shane uh, cutting Raven's hair partially, which I didn't realise had happened, what, like a week or two beforehand... So uh, there's going to be some backstage information on the whole hair versus hair thing that I don't know you'll know, uh, which hopefully will surprise you. Uh, (laughs) Raven says he isn't ashamed. He enjoyed it. The uh, You cutting his hair and beating him up, I guess. Mm -hmm. Shane doesn't run with scissors. Kiss your hair, then your career goodbye time to get your ass franchised. (laughs) ha, 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 Raven. Scott Hudson is with Shane Douglas and Jim Mitchell. Now... Uh, we talked about Jim Mitchell in a completely different capacity yeah. a few weeks ago uh, in the uh, NWA Sa- uh, Sarwin. I can never say Sam Hain, but I would really want to. Did you watch the promo beforehand?
1: The my promo or or, or
0: uh, no? Uh, James you, you, uh, James Mitchell's. You don't really talk with the uh, Scott Hudson right. one, but yes, Jim Mitchell.
1: Yes, uh, Jim was. Uh... When they put us together, it seemed like it didn't wouldn't work because you know I was known as a promo guy, and uh, James, you know, I, again my character came from a different place. Like he wasn't like the acolyte type follower uh, type of thing. But once I got to know James, like you know, he and I hung out several times after the shows. And would just sit and talk, and uh, I said, okay, well this you know maybe gives me some like fresh legs, gives me some place different like to to push up, uh, you know, and find new ground for that character. by at that time had been, you know, a huge part of my career. And, uh, and let's face it, James is pretty amazing at, at, at promos, uh, his whole look and that whole thing. Just, uh, I think to the average viewer, when you watch him deliver a promo because of his you know, the the long black hair and the pointed eyebrows and everything. I mean he looks like he's right out of uh a, a movie about Satan, right? It's uh you know, he he and he's so compelling on that microphone that that's what you know sort of sucked me into it and, and agreed to like, okay, let's go along with it. Let's see where it goes. Cause I thought it could have some fresh legs to my character.
0: Jim uh, he's another person you know where we say you know when you're Mount Rushmore and no one ever mentions someone. But as a manager, I mm-hmm. really rate Jim. He had a, he had yeah. a great character uh, in TNA, well in ECW with the Sinister Minister, I guess. Mm-hmm. He had a great character from then on in, and yeah. and was a great talker. And I think he just knew how to be a pure manager. And that's he's one of the last of that breed.
1: Yes, very much so. You know, and and what you're alluding to there is that manager. You know, running that mouth and getting his stuff in during the match and, you know, doing whatever he's going to do to the baby face. In in this case, setting Raven up for these falls or whatever. It almost takes on a sort of religious undertone, right? Like, you know, Raven's trying to exercise himself of these demons in his life. And, uh, you know, here you got this guy bringing him right back to his doorstep. Uh, You know, it was it, it was overt without being overt if that makes sense uh you know it was in your face i mean uh, you know scotty had by that time had talked publicly somewhat about his demons and the attempt to rid the rid himself of those and it it was again one of those things like a piper thing where you know he's talking about it and and taking it up to the level and then james would masterfully pull right up to that and, and you know lay some line down in the in the promo where you'd, like, you'd have to think about it. Like, why did you say that? And then, you know, dig it through. Uh, but he, I think James had the, the uh, inauspiciousness of being probably a little bit too good at what he did. And I think that there was a tendency to, by that time, okay, like, let's start to downsize the managers and, you know, push them aside. Where James was so, he'd come up in the business at the right time, and he's, you know, watching all these amazing managers before him. And he knew exactly where to set himself up to be to be knocked down. And that's, you know, for, from a manager standpoint, especially today, there's few managers that understand that. It's not just about getting there and choke the baby face and cheat and help your guy win. It's about ultimately setting yourself up to, to no matter what you're uh, endeavoring to put the baby face through you're going to end up putting yourself through it because the baby face is just that one step ahead at the right time. James was masterful at setting that kind of stuff up at a time when I think the business in lar- by la- by and large was beginning to downsize those roles of the managers mm. and and take some of the shine off of them. And
0: here we are, main event, Shane Douglas versus Raven, hair versus hair. I've realized that the... Um facts I've written about this that hopefully will surprise you is actually after the uh, main body of the match description. Perfect Strangers knockoff. Um, where does this rank <laughs> in the Perfect Strangers knockoffs? This one or WCWs? They weren't the same, were they?
1: And slightly different. Uh, I think more of it as I recall was baseline. Um, they they all had the keyboard lead in or some assembly of that. Uh, and it, it was close enough. I mean, by this time we had gotten to the point where you know, e, you know ECW had pretty much worn out its welcome as far as illegally using music, and uh, you know those guys, they did the best they could. I think with that, it's a you know it's because such an iconic song, not just you know with my entrance, but that was a huge, huge hit that brought uh, Black Sabbath back to the forefront and has been a mainstay there's ever since. Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. Or deep purple, I said black, so yeah, deep purple. Um, you, you just tested me there, Shane. yeah. No, yeah, no my, yeah, that was a good test for you. I was just checking to see share <laughs> shots as be my only. I uh, trust me, another difference between Sabbath and uh, uh, deep purple. Now, Ian Glover and Ozzy, Ozzy, the Oz, Ozzy, Osbourne. <laughs> That's
0: one of the worst attempts. A actor, yeah i'm a horrible i'm horrible at it <laughs> right so raven's pushing tna is uh, uh maybe a, phil- a philosophical booking problem because he wasn't pushed very much at all he was a b show mainstay at heat WWF heat then he goes to tna and he's treated like a title contender booking wise how do you sort of get over that to where it doesn't make tna look like a, a c show compared to wf heat b show if you know what i'm saying
1: yeah yeah. Well, I think what you're alluding to is with the character his character based on his ECW run <clears throat> and later his WWF run uh was he he is meant to be the after he's meant to be the antithesis, right? He he so the anti-hero. And <clears throat> When he was doing his promos in ECW, uh, I remember thinking to myself, like, man, he's great at that. Very, very different style than mine. But each time you feel yourself being pulled into that promo, you're going to go along and waft along to all the ups and downs and twists and turns because he's just got that magnetic delivery that's going to just sort of suck you in. I think the biggest problem for me with the character is it's just not a babyface character. Uh, and when he starts to become that babyface character like in, in in this match uh it, he's doing everything right much like in the, in the show we had uh several episodes ago uh the, the uh clash of champions when he's on there and he wrestled uh uh uh, uh scorpio scorpio yeah i was thinking uh, yeah, i had the Mick match in my head uh Watch him moving around in that, and you can see, like much like I said about Mick before, Scotty has all the basic tools, right? His positioning, his movement, he knows where to bring it up and slow it down. He's got all that. But when he came into this character in ECW, uh, the Raven character, quote, the Raven nevermore, Uh, you know, it just really sucked you in. And there was... I always say those most dangerous heels are the ones that can tell you that, you know, you know, I, I chopped a person's head off, but let me explain why I had to chop their head off. And at the end you go, well, I, okay, it's still crazy, but I see his point. And with Raven, you could always sort of see his point and, and the way he would deliver, no matter what crazy thing it was, they were doing, he'd get you to, at least on that edge going, um, okay, I, I, I wouldn't, but I get it. And, uh, you know, it was so uh word what do you use here it was so compelling to watch that to suddenly take that and throw it out and okay now you're going to be here to be the the good guy and so forget about all those crazy things i said and all those compelling talks i gave you now get behind me and root for me and i think that's probably a lot of heels that Yearn for that because you've heard booze for so long, you want to you know, get that one run right here. Hooray! Um, it just he doesn't, as that character, doesn't work for me. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, when you see him in a class of champions match, I, I bought him completely as a baby face. You know, it's like you're watching along and going, Okay, he's a good, good match. He was, I, I, a, he was a heel, that, watching, wasn't he?
0: Scotty Flamingo yeah, was a heel because he was against Scorpio, who t- dances, yeah, with
1: kids, technically a heel. But if you watch him in his turning, it is like he's feeding in and he's coming back and almost making comebacks in the middle of the spots and things. But he uh by the time he, he has the ECW run, that was so iconic that it's it's really hard to undo that and say, we're going to uh suddenly make you the, the guy the fans are rooting for. Uh you know, it just no matter how hard I'm trying, it almost looks to me like when I'm watching the match uh, the, the playback. And the and the post delivery, uh, the post birth, uh, uh, it's almost like too much of an attempt to try to push it that way. Uh, but he, he, uh, I, I guess in a nutshell, it, it maybe it's because I just know him too well, and I was too sucked in by the original version of that character. I just can't buy him as a babyface. There's nothing he's doing wrong. If anything, he's working his ass off in that role. Uh, And the A, B, C, D, the semantics of it are all there. But he's just so indelible, that character in my head, that it's really tough for me to make that leap and say, okay, now we're going to go with it. To your point, the, you know, when you try to pretend in wrestling that the other guys don't exist, there is somehow just abracadabra poof, forget everything you remember. We're now here. It it, it just, it's such a, a disservice to the fans. Yeah, it's maybe more convenient for your booking if that's the way you want to go. But I've always maintained convenient isn't necessarily good. We're only limited by this up here. So take me on a bit of a ride to get me there. Explain it to me so why this guy should be suddenly the hero. Uh and and maybe I can buy it. Uh but you know, the the you know, the like you said, the B show in WWF then. And now suddenly I'm, I'm gonna to be here. technical.
0: It was E. A- I, I can't help it. I've got to, Was I've it. Got to, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. What um, year is the separation? May,
0: 2002. May 2002. I hate, I hate, to, I, because I've already, I've already cut out one version of my question, which went about 14 years. I had a birthday <laughs> during, my, during the, during anyway, <laughs> the, I edited it out. So essentially, how do you rehab an image from, you're presented as a jobber to the stars on one show. And then two days later, you are presented as a main eventer. So how do you get from A to B, without basically harming your own company in the uh with the image in that sense. I found a good way of asking it finally for Christ's sake.
1: Yeah. The the short answer is you can't. I mean you can and then it it broaches all other sorts of questions that come up to that. Uh that's to do that and do it properly. You've got to take that character and take them on a journey before you get to the point of suddenly just plugging them in. Uh it's but i think it again is this this whole penchant for the industry not just uh, tna but for the entire industry to pretend okay like there was uh becw before ecw and now there's uh uh ecwc common era uh, so like we're before and after and like, the stuff in between didn't happen and you know at that point you're just really you're you're setting up the undermining of your own angle because you're expecting everybody to just somehow mass hypnosis and forget that this other thing happened. Incorporate it, use it, talking about it, uh, but make it make sense. We, you know, we we tell the younger kids in the business all the time. I don't care what the moves are in between; just make it make sense. And if you do that, then that, then the rest will fall into place. And yet, when it comes to those bigger things like that, there's just this sort of waving of the magic wand abracadabra poof he's here now he's the hero and so we'll put this smarmy heel out there and run his mouth and put james out there to do a great promo and somehow it'll just fall into place and work again when you watch the match you can't see really anything that raven's doing incorrectly in that role it's just that he's got this huge shadow behind him as this character uh that was this just prior and now you're trying to say, okay, just forget all that. It doesn't work. And it it's it's lazy booking, it's uh it cheapens it. And to me, there would have been so much more compelling television to take that character on that run. Okay, here you weren't so successful. What makes you think you can be here? Uh you know, and, and take that journey before you start to plug them into that top spot, and uh it, it, again, shame on, on TNA. it's just it's just cheap and cheesy and uh shortcutting it mm-hmm. uh shotting it if you were. <clears throat> and you know in the final analysis, I guess the like people that do that or have the uh, the the audacity to think to do that in a booking position. there's a uh, you know I always talk about these condescensions right There's a condescension there to the fans, but there's also an aggrandizement of your own powers as a booker like we could just do this and they're going to forget all that and with all due respect that's the nfl of our industry so they're not going to just forget about all that and that comes and that's the you know it's like remember the old uh well you're too young a bit robert conrad the guy and they how it, how the west was won they, they have the uh or the wild wild west rather he would put the commercial on. go ahead i dare you knock it off um you're doing that to the fans and as you know from the fans that do this kind of thing and and you know, have really written books about the business and followed, and they come to the conventions and you know signings and everything. Wrestling fans have that, that certain segment of them have an undying love for professional wrestling. And they're not going to go, okay, well, whew, I'm just going to erase that from my memory bank and then just pick up here and go from there. It's it's cheesy, it's cheap, it's it's lazy, and uh, and it deprives the fans of. What you need most, you being the promotion, you need footage, you need television content to feel that it would make that make sense. And by cheapening it, you just cut out 16, 20 weeks of television you could have done to get there.
0: Now, let's do the match itself. Do you want me to talk anything about it, or do you just want to take it?
1: No, go go right right in. I'll I'll plug in where.
0: Okay, so, uh, face off. uh, The crowd's big into it. I mean, the more into it than the (coughs) NWA title match from before feels uh it, it it feels even though it's a fairly small venue, it feels big time. People are cheering very, very vociferously, nothing but a face off for like a couple of minutes. Nothing but punches then and then ins and outs of the ring and outside brawling. All very all very easy stuff. It's just basic storytelling. And the fans mm-hmm. are reacting. You don't need to do any more than that. Yeah, now yeah. uh the fans like it. Stripper likes it. Because the, there's one bit where there's just a stripper, just like just going yeah. through the bars, just, gr- just grinning at me, which <laughs> <Yeah>. is <just> funny. <laughs> um. There
1: is a scene. There is a scene in Pro Wrestlers vs Zombies, the most recent version, the final version of it, where all this stuff is going on in the prison. There's zombies, and there's wrestlers running from the zombies, <clears throat> and for no explanation or reason at all, there's a lady with no top on running down a trail in the middle of the woods somewhere. And then it cuts back to the like, well, where the hell did that like what was that? Like it's almost <laughs> like you're watching a movie and somebody like cut into your cable for 13 seconds and then it's gone again. And that was what I that's how I saw this like you know, the <laughs> drumming, I was like what, what did that have to do with the match? I just wanted sort of <laughs> to throw it in there.
0: Hey, well she was into it, why not? Uh, actually I missed one bit out. So uh Raven keeps giving fans chairs to hold and then rams your head into it, does it two or three times, the fans are enjoying it. Back into the ring. Raven hits a Cobra clutch, and Mike Mm -hmm. Tanay covers this by saying that Raven was talking to Mark Lewin earlier that week to perfect the submission. What a funny callback.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if that was something that Raven had talked to him about or if he knew the history with Lewin. And that, uh, cause that is really like back there. That's like, one of, that's deep in the annals of, mm. of wrestling history. Right. And, uh, cause when he started saying that he was on the phone, he had a phone caller this week. I'm thinking for sure. He's going to say Sergeant Slaughter mm. and go on. Right. Or the,
0: the same thing, <laughs> or even Steve Austin, yeah. who used it, but yeah, Mark Loon, what a callback.
1: Yeah. I was like, man, I, I, it goes back in there, but I, 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 I thought Mike was an exceptional play by play guy. Mm. Uh, really good at what he did and um you know he in that line last time I sat watching on Moose's uh phone and I when he hit the line I like I looked away from the spot I man, I, I didn't expect that <laughs> like you said there were a couple of names I would have thought first prior to that but uh and I'm sure this part of wrestling fans going he meant Sarge and Slaughter or DB Aussie um, or somebody but uh yeah just one of those nuggets thrown in there that for those that did their homework, realize well, oh, he's right.
0: There's a connection there. There's a later on in the match. There's a, an abdominable stretch battle, which I'd also never seen before. And surprised, TNA didn't say Wilbur Snyder took a phone call with these two guys
1: at the same time. <laughs>
0: uh, Shane me-
1: Douglas was talking to Wilbur Snyder earlier this
0: week. <laughs> call back. Have that. Uh, let me have. A, uh, so uh, Raven's taken nearly all of the match, which I suppose in hindsight, because I know that Raven gets his head shaved. Makes all the Mm -hmm. sense in the world, because if you're losing, you're basically going to take 90% of the match to keep your heat, I guess. Yeah. Um, Shane ends up busted open on the steps. Raven then gets busted open on the steps straight away. I want to mention this very briefly. Jerry Lynn bleeds in the prior match. Is that an issue if he knows that you guys are going to be bleeding in the main event?
1: My guess is that was a drop ball from Because I saw that piece (coughs) and thought that, my guess would be the company dropped the ball. Either they didn't know Jerry was getting color or Jerry didn't know we were getting color. Somebody some, somewhere the, the message didn't cross the lines mm. because it, it it really shouldn't have been. There's no need to do that. And it it detracts somewhat from it, but uh yeah, I it, you should have had them back to back and that that I think it's just a drop ball, which again, who Go figure.
0: Yeah, uh, Jerry bleeds a gusher as well. Then anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we'll move on. Shane finally gets the upper hand. Taunts a fan with Raven's blood on his hand. So you just go. It's actually next to the uh, girl who looked like Chastity that uh, Frank yeah. uh, uh, Frankie Kazarian was uh, chatting up prior. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the adorable stretch. Uh, which, as I say, just one of those just basic maneuvers where you actually fight over it and it means something, which is definitely uh, yeah. interesting. You throw him out of the ring; Raven gets back. Yeah, which into was, the... I'm sorry, which was a
1: hell of a bump from his point of view. Yeah. Uh you know, we typically would have readjusted once we got into that position and gotten closer to the ropes. <clears throat> and although I'd like to say I was strong enough to throw a guy his size that far, that really is Scotty working and. You know, he was present of mind enough to know he was close enough that he could get to the rope. the The downside of his uh, again on the physics by time he he's already so far away from the rope that to clear the rope by now he's got to come down and he comes down and he hits that apron hard and you know and he no, completely no sold it so it may have been just one of those things that looked worse than it was, but as somebody who's done that several times in your career, that hurts like hell. And it looks to me like he comes right down on his hip bone on that. <clears throat> but if you watch a second later, he's not really selling it. So, uh, but yeah, and I think Tanae calls it out on, on the, you know, he, in a second or two, he mentions it. You know, he came down hard on the apron, um, but he yeah, he really hits it hard if you watch it back. But it's so quick. And the camera angle, which is one of the things that I, well, I'll let you finish. Now I'll, I'll go give. Oh my no, no 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 no. Right. Uh,
0: well, I was just going to say Raven gets back in the ring, and then it happens.
1: It what? What are you talking about? You beat <laughs>
0: your fucking guts out.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's the, I've told that story, and I that, I think last night was the first time I watched that match back. Validates everything I said. And the previous on Wednesdays <clears throat> when we do these shows, I would drink. We talked in a previous episode about, uh, energy drinks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I would drink diet red bulls all day and wouldn't eat. And, uh, cause if you look closely, you see, you starting to get a little bit puffy around the midsection and not a li- little bit soft here and there. And so I would do that to try to lean out a little bit. I would eat like early the day before, and then not late, and then the next day I would drink the Red Bulls all day. And uh, that building, what you really can't tell, and you can never tell from a from a you know viewer standpoint, is the uh, the, the uh, fairgrounds in Nashville. That building is just a it's a barn setup type building for like you know uh, farm expositions and things. So there's no air conditioning in the building. Well, by that time of the night, you've had television cameras and lights going all day, you know, for several hours. And the crowd, it's thick in there, and it's hot, and it's steamy, and it's humid. And this match, by my estimation, on that spot on the card, uh, we didn't need that much time to tell that story. And, uh, you know, we're going to a a pretty simple place. I think we could have shaved probably a good five minutes off of that and still gotten everything in we needed to tell that story. But (laughs) – I throw him in. We're, up, we're on the floor. We come back in and I throw him back in. And you'll see me hesitate there for a second. I throw a mouthful up at ringside. And I think I'm fine once I've got that mouthful out. <clears throat> so I come in again. And when I cover him, if you watch Scotty closely, he's watching me and he sees it starts to heave again. So he rolls away uh, uh, from under it. And if you look at what I'm throwing up, there's no chunks, there's no food in there. It's just all clear liquid. And. and you know, it's uh, really it was just the, the, the heat in that building, the fact that I'm drinking those energy drinks all day, and uh, something was gonna give. It, <laughs> it was either coming out the backside if I held on to it a little bit longer, or like that. And uh, but I thought today, and look, you you can't ignore that on camera, right? You're you're co- commentating on a match, and by that point in the match, the match has gone on for a while, and they've fought around the building and this and that. So by pretending it didn't happen and Raven's doing this, blah, 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 it, you know, call what's on the screen. You know, like, there would probably be some guys go, Hey, like, don't call it out on me. I think in, in, in the way that I viewed that last night, that sort of underscored to the match like, as, as, you know, hard nose and hot the building was and all of that, uh, that and then where we're going with it afterwards that that just sort of spells again to me from a uh, from a wrestling psychology point of view. In front of the fans, trying to guess what the fans think they're going to see, they see this going on and they think, okay, perfect foil. Did they give him something to make him throw up during the match, or did he throw something in his mouth? And it, is this part of the story? And uh, no, it was just hot building, too many red bull <laughs> red bulls, and when when you're out there and I, at ringside, I said, you'll see me bend over for a second, and it looks like I'm spitting. Uh, because like a literal mouthful came up, and, and I just spit to clear my mouth out, and as I'm climbing back in, I can feel it starting to roll again. And I'm like, oh, let's see. And then, uh, then the, the second mouthful comes up, and then the third. So there's there's one at ringside, and there's two inside the ring, and that is that is exactly what happened there. <laughs> it was diet Red Bulls on an empty stomach in a hot building in a long grueling match. Not not the best mix.
0: <laughs> mm. So when did you start feeling? it's Coming literally when I oh, just went after first
1: mouthful, yeah. I mean, I was fine before that, and it was like, bleh, bleh, bleh. It was just like, you <laughs> feel like it's coming, coming its way up. But what I'm guessing is that stuff was foaming up in my belly, right? So it's yeah. getting thrown around and it's shaking up in here, But just mouthful comes and go, okay, better. And then I'm coming in the ring, I could feel it again, uh, coming up. And at that point, like, there's no reason to try to kayfabe it, like, I gotta roll out of the ring and put my head under the ring or something why I like to me again, in hindsight, and I wish I had the presence of mind at that moment to say, this is why I did it. Uh, I, I did, I stayed in the ring because that's to me, underscoring this match. Raven's really given it to me. And even through that. And and again, I think Mike really covers it up. Well, not covers up but comments on it. Well, Mm -hmm. and says, you know, such a grueling match, but Shane Douglas still has the presence of mind too." blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, go with it. Like, you try to pretend it didn't happen. Uh, you know, it's just those things that we've seen how many times when you're watching a match and something just blatantly obvious happens or the camera catches something. And they, hey, what's that over there? Oh, by the way, we're back to the match now. It looks ridiculous. And uh, Mike Tanay, I remember coming up to the end, you know, what happened? And he said, I'm so sorry. And he told me to comment. I said, good. You know, you should have commented on it. It's there. Um In hindsight, it plays off exactly like in my head like it should have played in the story of 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 telling that match.
0: Now you ready to do it. Just just one mouth. You're probably probably like me. If I'm gonna puke, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it all out there. I don't understand people who like throw up and go do a tiny bit. I just go whoa, and just, you know, puke up half my lungs and stuff. Not that you like to know, but you know now. Anyway, Raven kicks out of a chair to the head. Then Shane kicks out of a drop-toe hold onto the chair. Then at this point, I note there's a lot of talking going on in the ring. Do you remember uh, the back and forth that's happening or for what reason?
1: No. No. I uh, I saw that too last night and, I, and I, you know, I was wondering myself and I have no recollection of what it was being said about whether it was I know we had to get two tables set up in due time and uh, <clears throat> while we had the the run-in, but uh, I can't recall what the commentary was there. It, it, it might have been Ravens to ask are you okay to yeah. go on? I, I don't know. Uh, but there was uh, – and by that time, I think when you watch – when you see somebody in the ring in a compromised position and then you see them get back on track, that pretty much tells you that that's passed and we talked in a previous episode about like a doctor at ringside being aware and paying attention. Uh, You know, we're probably our own best doctors in that sense. Like I'm, I'm well aware of whether I can continue on or not. And uh, you know, because of where we were going, we could have gotten there much quicker and and a thousand times faster if we would have had to, like, if, let's say I'd gotten the flu or I had, you know, eaten something bad, that was, you know, going to keep me thrown up. But we don't want to stay in the ring and do ten bl- blowjobs in the in the <laughs> ring at, uh, you know, Hurley would not blowjobs. Probably not the right word to use, right? Maybe explain that word, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, blow chunks. That's that's what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, yeah. So I, but my guess would be that part of what it was, but can't recall.
0: That's good. The ten blowjobs in the ring might be NWA's next pay per view <laughs> gimmick. Um, Now,
1: Certain people become world champion that way, I understand, but it's... The Pat Patterson Memorial Championship.
0: (laughs) Uh, We'll move on then. Wolfie D breaks up a pin. He's called Sin or something, but he's Wolfie D. Anyway, uh, even though Douglas kicked out as well. (laughs) So uh, that's the second time then there's meant to be interference, but then the person kicks out for whatever reason. Uh, Just to, you know, uh, just for... uh, to be sure. New Church Interfere referee down. Julio De Niro and CM Punk come down to uh, even the odds. Now, here's the fun fact. A Ring of Honor match between Raven and CM Punk, who were feuding on Ring of Honor yet friends in TNA. So, you know, you think about that. <laughs> uh, they were, fe- uh, Yeah, so that, that's crazy. On September 6th, they were supposed to be in a hair versus hair match. 11 days earlier. Now, wow. TNA and Jeff Jarrett specifically prevented this from happening, and I believe Jeff said, "Raven, if you lose your hair in this match with CM Punk, then you will not welcome back in TNA until your hair grows back." So oh, I did, did yeah. not know that. No, uh, so there you go. And uh, Raven ended up not doing that stipulation. They did like a cage match or something instead. So, I thought that was going to be a little fun fact for you. Weirdly, two hair versus hair matches are going to happen at the same time. Uh, I'll probably ask about CM Punk another time, because there's plenty of time for CM Punk uh, stuff. Uh, We're going to stick with the match here. Shane kicks out of a DDT. Shane reverses Superplex onto table by shoving Raven through the table. It's basically just like a push, really. And then Raven kicks out and rolls into your vomit. And then, <laughs> and then Raven DDTs Shane Douglas through the table. And here's another thing: the lights go out, you know, ECW style, and it's one, two. But the lights don't quite go out in time because then I see your arm go straight up, just you know, for for uh, insurance sake. Even though Mike yeah, Tanay yeah. says, "Well, you know, Raven had uh, uh, Shane beat, which he didn't in in that sense." <laughs> and then uh, the lights go on, and a mystery man who has been terrorizing TNA for months finally reveals himself to be Vampiro. We're going to speak about Vampiro very briefly in a second, but apparently it was originally going to be Ricky Banderas, but no one's really heard of him. He's not very famous. Then Terry Funk was considered, and then also CM Punk was considered, because, hey, he's fusing with him on Ring of Honor. It actually makes sense. Vampiro hits a DDT and Shane gets the pin and holds onto his stomach which you are holding onto your storytelling <laughs> tie. And at no point was the match ever.
1: Actually, was, actually, I was holding my elbow. Oh, were you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. pardon me. That was right around the time that uh, I, I had just had the surgery. I think when I was in Florida, I had the eighth surgery on that elbow. And if you notice, I was wearing the brace, the the, the rubber neoprene sleeve on it. Mm-hmm. And it had worked down during the match. And a couple times, earlier in the match... <clears throat> I kick out of something, and I, I I roll over and and go like that, uh, and I know I'm holding the elbow. I can't remember what what happened, but it's definitely holding the elbow. And when I came back up after the match, same thing. My guess is it was probably related to that surgery. There was a uh, a nerve that they had to 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 release off from the earlier surgeries, and it you know wasn't hurt like like broken hurt or anything like that. It was hurt like ouch, like the nerve is still active in there, you know, and still still going. But uh, yeah, that's that's what was going on there.
0: I, I do apologize for getting that wrong. Uh, I want to stick with Vampiro here because apparently this was a surprising hire because Vampiro and Jeff Jarrett may have had heat after Jarrett supposedly refused to drop the WCW US title back to him in 2000. You remember anything hmm. about this?
1: I remember there being a time when, when like there was, you know, rumors about like being unwilling to drop that sort of thing. Uh, I don't specifically remember about Vampiro, but Vampiro to me has always been like the pro guy played that character very well and had, you know, a lot of success with it. I, you know, they needed somebody uh, like you said, they needed somebody like to me, when the lights were out, I had totally forgotten that it was Vampiro. And so I'm waiting like everybody else watching it, like, who is it? And it went on long to the kickout. It was not supposed to be a kickout. But when you're in that position, uh, laying there, I'm watching the lights because I can clearly see the lights. And if it's, you know, the one and the two and the hand is coming down for the third and the lights are still on, well, if, if he hits that three, the fans know the match is over. And we have to get to this other place. So that's just like as an insurance thing. And you know, whoever got it just a split second too late, and uh, which necessitated me kicking out the uh, when Vampiro uh, when it came on, uh, it it seemed disparate to me. Like it didn't like there was something he fit in with with the you know the the the, uh, Jim uh, Mitchell, but it. It just seemed like almost like a like a piece that didn't belong here at, at, at that moment. Um, but you know, Vampiro, I, I'd be surprised if if there was any kind of heat like that. It may have been on Jeff's mind, of you know, if if he had done that. But uh, Vampiro, like it's the same thing I said earlier about like winning and losing. Like nobody's gonna really like you know end a friendship or refuse to work for somebody because this happened or didn't happen uh so you know i i i wouldn't know firsthand on that but it seems to be like that seems like a an embellishment at, at least
0: vampiro was an absolute stone cold megastar in mexico mm-hmm. and never never really so in the states he had i mean he's probably most famous one was in wcw Yep. and he feuded with Sting for a bit in the latter days there. But for some reason, Vampiro, I mean, is it just something like he's just underappreciated north of the border kind of thing? Because he clearly knows how to get over.
1: Oh, yeah, big time. Vamp knows his way around that ring, and he's hes a pro's pro. Um, I, I, I think, you know, and, and again, this is like my two cents worth, Lucha is very different in Mexico, hence all the masks. And, you know, there's a whole tradition behind all of that. It's that we in the States here don't quite get. <clears throat> and so Vampiro, you know, plays off the Day of the Dead and has, you know, there's a, it plays well into the Lucha storylines. And if you remember when they came here, like in, in WCW, they had the, uh, uh, the misfits coming in and they were great uh, to work with um professional easy but it was almost like because that big part of all that lore that is behind lucha libre in in mexico that not that it didn't translate because vamp's work stood on its own it just it was expecting that i guess the promoters would expect were expecting that that lore would all come with it and there was Unfortunately, when the lucha, luchadores came north, there wasn't a lot of conversation about why the masks and you know what's their tradition and you know what is the whole saga behind all of that. And you know, for Vamp, like the, the makeup and everything it plays, you could see right off the, the day of the day, which is a huge, huge thing in Mexico. And because none of that was ever translated over, much like TNA never explained why the ring has eight sides uh, or six sides whatever it were. Um, you know it's just uh, make it up but give the give them some reason not just hey we're different because we have a different looking ring uh, you know it, it, some of those things I think sometimes in wrestling are where the wrestling business will often go into a lot of these types of diatribes okay so we're gonna this guy's got a great buzz here or there. Uh, he's over big in Japan or Mexico and they expect them to come here when there's by and large been no history for them here. And more so there's no history to the whole backstory to why the makeup or the face, the, the masks and things. Mm-hmm. It's just expected that because they're a big star someplace else that they come in and, they, and if they don't bring that with him, there's eh, well, he's maybe not as over as we thought he should be. We. Uh, weekly episodic wrestling television needs a lot of content and it needs a lot of compelling content when you're putting that stuff out there. And this is one of the places where you see, especially when wrestling becomes so prodigious on television, so much of it was being shown every week in the States came this argument of how many pay-per-views is too much. What's not enough, uh, and they were thinking more on that side of the fence as opposed to, well, that just means we have to fill up more content. And, you know, if if your A show, your B show, and your C show spends, say, 35 of the 46 minutes on covering what's going on in the A show, uh, then that gives you less time to get your stuff over the B show. The very fact that there was as much wrestling uh, on TV at this time in America screams out all the more reason for Filling it up with different content. So, why not on one of your shows give this content to who is Vampiro? Why is his face painted? What makes him that character? Fill that stuff in as opposed to, well, here he is. Well, he ain't getting really over like we thought. He's not like getting those big mm-hmm. reactions like he did in, in, in Mexico. And, you know, again, I think it's just our, the weaknesses in hindsight have had the, the, the luxury of 30 years of hindsight to be able to look back, at, or in this case, what, 20, Yeah, 30 years right No, 20 years to 2003, uh, to look back at this and say, okay, well, we can play Monday morning quarterback on it, but it really is by my estimation, the failing of our business of our industry and not taking that because there's a, there is a very compelling story there. And with so many kids watching wrestling at that time, those kids, I guess would have gone along on that ride. And this is the the period where you're seeing wrestling sort of wrestle with itself and wringing its hands of, okay, well, we got these adult fans that are looking for this. but we also have kid fans that are looking for that and somehow trying to meander between those two. And I think they just completely dropped the ball because Vampiro certainly does how to get a pop. And uh you know, the industry, you said, you'd mentioned uh, that you know he never quite got over to the degree here that he was in in Mexico. And I think mean, that's our business's fault. Nothing he did wrong. It's, uh, you know, they, they just missed the boat big time. Because, again, there's a lot of a lot of content there that you could have filled up with that.
0: As I uh, <clears throat> asked you to uh, bring your microphone slightly closer to you in the Joe Rogan style, I'll uh, just say this quick story. <laughs> Apparently, Vampiro uh, was in WCW, and Sting came up to him and just went, dude, it's not cool you wearing that white face paint. That's my thing. And Vampiro said, well, I've been doing it since 1984, so, I mean, how long have you been wearing it? And Sting <laughs> went, all right. And that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't have a reply <laughs> for that. So, uh, back to your match. And, uh, well, it's actually the post-match. Raven has lost. The head shaving begins as Shane taunts mm. on the mic. It was almost a meme back in the day. Because you can taunt your face like an absolute devil. You go, just go, <laughs> just While you're holding the mirror in his face. This is what yeah. you are, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you're taunting yeah. him on the mic. <laughs> James Mitchell doesn't know how clippers work. So he's shearing Raven like a yeah. sheep that has wronged him in a previous yeah. life. He's just got, <laughs> he's doing it the backwards way and he's scalping <laughs> poor Scotty and he's oh legitimately gosh. scarring his head. Scarring he had a great head of hair until that and then he scarred so much of his follicles basically he basically gave him mm. alopecia basically to a point. Yeah. And uh, backstage, no, no actually, I'll, men- I'll save that for a bit. Mike Tanay yells over the microphone, This sucks. I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn. And the credits roll. <laughs> so, uh, from what you remember of James Mitchell not knowing how Clippers work and scalping Scotty with just blood pouring down all over the place?
1: When he, the first thing I remember the Clippers in my memory as not working well. So like, he was like, like trying to get the hair off. And so like, when I'm watching the playback and it's zip, hmm. zip, I mean, is it was coming off a lot easier than I thought it was. And in my recollection, I re- recalled it that like it, it had scraped his head. Like he had scratches on his head. And there's the one camera angle where his head from behind, jutting back. And you can see like, there's an entire strip of skin gone on the top of his head. And I'm like, Oh my God. You know, I, I know we joked about it at the time, like the scalping and everything, but when you see that and, you know, I'm sure Scotty, you know, probably felt it, but you know, when you're in the, in the ring and doing that stuff, you're not really feeling stuff like as much as you would if you were just going to do it to your head right now. But I'm, I remember looking at that and like literally my mouth, like, oh my God, like there. Like, they ain't kidding. Like, they we, we really did scalp them, or James really did scalp them. And you know, just seeing that like strips of skin being cut off and and then the blood coming. Uh, you know, I remember Raven getting to the back, he was pretty upset, but I don't think James, because again, like in my memory, it was like, like he said, i like make it, it wasn't quite working. And when so when I'm watching a zip. Zip and well okay that's different than i remember no th-
0: th- these uh, were like wired ones so they're not like the battery powered ones these are wired ones and they uh, and when I, I wasn't really being facetious like uh, shearing a sheep they were almost like yeah. sheep clippers they were huge things so they were going to get the job done mm-hmm. yeah
1: and, and like you said you're supposed to go front to back right and and pull the hair no, up no 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 no, uh, no he, he
0: he he put the sharp bit downwards and went Dug it into his head. It doesn't matter which way you do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But you have to hold them, you have to have the flat metal bit on the scalp, not the right. cutty teeth <laughs> yeah. doing that,
1: digging it. So that's why it was stripping his skin. Crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. When you, when, like I said, when you, in my recollection, it was like it had scratched his head, like, you know, like cut, cut, like singular cuts. And there's that one camera shot where his head is back and then you can see like the, inch and a half long skin stripped out. I was like, Jesus, God. Uh, Yeah, that was a, uh, I can see now why they call it a scalping because it literally was a scalping. And uh, i have going to ask Scotty that because as he's sitting there, you don't see him like, oh, hey, it hurts easier whatever. So I'm guessing that he probably didn't quite feel it because, again, it was like zip, zip. But, boy, when you see that (laughs) entire gouge, off his scalp it's just like woof yeah it's uh, crazy
0: now I not on the greatest authority but I did read it was reported that Raven tried to punch Mitchell in the back
1: yeah like I said I remember I don't know if he tried to punch him but I remember him being you know pretty angry in the back as you can imagine Mm -hmm. right but by that time you know there's you know, being sweaty and scalpy, but, you know, there's still hair stuck to his head and, you know, they, they it had bled over and, you know, so you weren't sure if it's like a razor blade cut, you know, is this a wrestling cut or is it, uh, which is probably why I never had the recollections of having seen that camera angle. And, and that, you know, I would have been pissed too. <laughs> I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a life-altering thing, especially for those of us that are well quaffed, right? I mean, it's a it's a, a career ender. <laughs> uh, uh, boy, that's uh, oh, amazing.
0: I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mistimed interrupting you. There, do apologize. Uh, right, so a fan sent this in. I know we've done our fan question thing, but I actually saved this because it's just it's perfect timing. So uh, it's a chap called Ben, and he also describes himself as a fellow Beaver County wrestling fan. So, oh, nice. <laughs> he says, "My name is Ben, and I used to work at a grocery store near Pittsburgh where Shane would shop." And uh, he says, sorry for always pestering you with wrestling questions. <laughs> I I remember a specific day in 2003, I believe, where I was working and Shane came in riding one of those motorized shopping carts. When I asked if he was okay, he said he had broken his ankle at a show. I remember asking how he would be able to wrestle on an NWA TNA that Wednesday against Raven in their hair versus hair match, I think. And Shane told me he would just wrap it extra tight to put his boot on and grit his teeth to make it through the match. I asked why he wouldn't just tell someone in management that you're hurt. And Shane said, if you tell someone you're hurt, they take you off the card. They give you that. Mm. Uh, they give that spot to somebody else and you lose a payday, so you tough it out. Does Shane remember this? And could he give some background to the story and talk about getting through the Raven match with a broken ankle? Is this true? You had a broken ankle going through it?
1: Uh, I if, if, I would have said no uh, except that, that story I don't know if he's maybe conflating the dates because I don't look in any way hobbled in the ring uh, so I'm wondering if he didn't mix something up in, on his side but around that time I did break an ankle <clears throat> but <laughs> I wish I could say I was, was fighting for a title someplace I had gone to walk into my shed and <laughs> I had a wooden, you know, a a platform made of wood uh, that was basically like two by fours on their sides so that the water could run through, and it had rotted. And so when I stepped on that, I went to like step on it and into the shed, my ankle went through and twisted and fractured my ankle on the the dumbest of things. And that would have been right around that time frame, uh, early 2000s. So I'm guessing that, that Ben... Somewhere has it mixed up, a timeline in his head. I can't recall exactly when that was. Uh, I, I'm thinking it would have been a little bit later than that. But, but again, I can't say the guy's lying. I don't know because I don't. I can't peg down exactly when that was. I'm sure I could go back and look at Dr. Bills or something and figure it out. But uh, in that time frame, I did break an ankle and – I, I, I for the life of me, I got to sit here and try to like dig for it. I can't recall if it was before that. I am certain as certain as I can be watching it, that that wasn't just, okay, I braced my ankle or taped it up because you know, if, if you've ever broken a bone, it's not, you can't just cover it up that easily. Mm. And there's no point where you see me hobbling in that, in that match to the contrary, at the beginning of the match, you know, Raven throws me out and comes out after me. I roll back in and then we do that a couple of times it, it's, it must be wrong on the timeline on his side. Sorry, Ben, if I, if that's not a better answer for you. Um, but the, I'm positive in watching that match that I wasn't, wasn't on a broken ankle.
0: But it was somewhere around that time. I, 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 annoyingly, I put this in the wrong place, this little-known trivia fact. The planned finish of the CM Punk-Raven hair versus hair match that was going to happen in Ring of Honor, but then end, ended up happening... Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, it was meant to be... Tommy Dreamer making the save when Raven was going to be double teamed but then turned on Raven costing him his hair. I don't know if that was going to be in TNA or Ring of Honor. I've, I've messed up that bit of fact but anyway. Uh, right. Uh, I'm going to ask you a, a fairly heavy question here. So from everything we've talked about on our shows uh, on, on my show and that you've given to other interviews so I don't think I'm talking out of school here and you've also mentioned you know, uh, that you were coming off the Oxycontin or at least trying to at that time I can't enjoy the match as much as it, I should because I know you're suffering, I know you're sick, and you said in a previous episode that you're going through you know, a divorce and you go through just it's just a load of different things. So I, as I know you better than obviously, uh, I suppose, uh, most people watching this, uh, it, it sort of breaks my heart a little bit knowing that you're going through all these different things, personal and physical issues at the time. Can you watch these matches at this time and not sort of have your mind taken back to how you're feeling at these?
1: <laughs> No, no, it definitely does suck me back to that. As much as you try not to, like, you know, it'll pop. Like last night I didn't sit down and go, okay, this is that time frame and, you know, put a bit of a up. Uh, But as I'm watching it, I can see by the shape that I'm not in. That's the first giveaway. And because there was so much, uh, I I think the, the fans know, you know, how in love I am with my boys. That Caden had just, no, Caden wouldn't be born. He wouldn't be born in 2005. So Connor's young, young, and pretty much oblivious to this. And it was a stage in my life where uh, if there's one person on the planet that I should have been able to count on, it would have been my spouse. <clears throat> and instead, I was getting threats. You'll never see your kid again and stuff like that, which only further pushed me into the shell. Like I can't even talk to her about this. And so, you know, you're getting it at work. You're getting it from home. Your son is oblivious to it. And, you know, I still have enough of my wits about me to know that like, I'm taking a amount of this oxycontin that should be deadly. And each time you're throwing this pills in your mouth, you're basically playing Russian roulette. But you're stuck on it. You're hooked on it, and you know through this time. And this is by no means saying like, I deserve a medal for any of this or whatever. It's just it's speaking the truth. There wasn't a time that uh, that I was from the time moment like months into taking oxycontin that I was addicted to it, physically uh, uh, conditioned to it, and physically dependent would be the ac- actual phrase. That I didn't want to put a gun barrel right behind the the, the dose. It was. You know, I was the guy that never did drugs in my life and never had any interest in it. I was, you know, my friends and I could get enough laughs of just being stupid goofballs like we were. And uh, I just was always terrified of doing those. There was a girl named Karen Ann Quinlan This is around 71, 72, uh, 16, 17, 18 year old girl that went to a party, drank a beer by all reports, drank a beer and took a pill lapsed into a coma for like 29 years before they took her off the, the life support. And I always thought like, you know, I'm, I'm not the guy that has the best luck. So if that's going to happen to somebody, it probably happened to me, which is again, I had no propensity in my life to ever want to do any kind of drug, but when a doctor prescribes something to you, that's where my naivete came in was like, okay, well, this is from a doctor. And it's, but from it's, the it's, very it's a
0: miracle day, drug. Wasn't it? They told you.
1: Miracle drug, quote, yeah. exactly from their documentation, Pardo Pharmaceuticals, the one that the Supreme Court here in America is soon to, to hear uh, the, the case on. So uh, I had tried through those five years, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I had gone through five what's called rapid opiate detoxes, which were five to $7,000 each, Uh You know, it wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to keep on, I'm having a great time here and this is going to have some jollies here, Uh, you know, but I was also scared to death and not being able to talk at work about it, not being able to talk at home about it. I've got a small child at home that's witnessing this, although oblivious to it, thank God, up to a point, Um, you know, that there's the weight of that, you know, that that slams you at times. Certainly not something I'm proud of, but like I, I said from day one, whenever I did the interview in TNA, uh, if I don't talk about this, it will give off the connotation that I should be ashamed of this. And I'm, I was never ashamed of it. That's why I've talked about it publicly, because I now know, as I knew then without knowing, uh, there are millions of people around the world that have endured the same thing, uh, whether it's OxyContin or something else. If I try to hide it and it leaks out and it will certainly leak out at some point, the connotation should be, hey, if you have a problem out there, hide it, conceal it. Hey, dummy, don't tell anybody because bad things will happen to you. And I didn't want that to be the stigma. So I, I I spoke publicly about it. And I think in a lot of ways, cut the legs off the argument. You know, like if, if somebody comes and says, well, what about this or what about that? Okay. And I've spoken about that. And, and like now, answer will openly answer those questions. But I do want to talk to people out there right now that are watching this episode that may know somebody, a loved one, a friend, a spouse, a child, uh, or a friend that, that's going through something like this. Get them help. Let them talk about it because it really is the, the crux point. Concealing it and making threats to that person, you'll just make them better liars is all you'll do until you get the phone call hey that person's gone um you know so if you really love that person you really care about that person fight satan and god above both on this thing if you have any attempt to save your your loved one's life um but for me what became therapeutic is talking about it and uh, you know that that letting other people know come up and say and i think at the time i said like if there's one person that's out there right now that can be saved by this or, you know, not make the mistakes that I've made. And over the years I've probably had two, three dozen people come up and say, Hey, I just want to say, thank you. I was going down the same path. And when I heard your story. And so like, I, I can't ask anything better. That's the, that's the best payoff I ever got. So it's uh there are so many people. That get, I mean, just take a look around. It's this, the people say the opiate, uh, 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 disaster in this country it's worldwide this stuff going on and now the fentanyl that's being put in with it is even deadlier than that stuff was and you know as a parent it scares you and i've had these same conversations with my kids we i've talked openly with my kids as long as they've been old enough to understand what it is we're talking about because this is as real a thing that uh that exists in the world today when you as a parent or as a loved one you 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 Worry yourself over the the what ifs. Hey, what if the satellite falls on my kid's head or whatever? Um, this stuff is real and it, it's right there. In my hometown, which I've told you before, sort of like Mayberry. <clears throat> I had a guy several years ago tell me I can get heroin within five minutes of this place. And come on, seriously? He goes three minutes that way, two minutes that way. You're talking bullshit, right? And uh, you know, I'll look at some right now. I'm like, no, no, I'm not asking it. I said, but it's it's that ubiquitous here in New Brighton, Pennsylvania, and uh, yes, it's 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 overrun. It's uh, it really, really is a major, major thing that that now, so, sadly, because of all these other stupid headlines, uh, it's sort of been pushed to the back seat. Like, no, okay, well, everybody knows about that. We don't really have to keep talking about it. Yes, you do, because it's uh, for me the 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 fact that I could go public with it and I had an outlet to do that with was hugely helpful. But that was step one of a thousand steps, and the the next thing that was most helpful to me is I can't shut my brain off, and so like you know, like I was telling Chris the other day, you, you you'd be dry, like middle of this conversation, we'd be t- doing an interview, and all of a sudden for whatever reason my brain would go, take an oxcon. You're okay. Take it an And it wouldn't stop. It wasn't like you'd say, okay, well, what were we saying, James? It was that, 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 until you finally went, okay, screw it. Just go take one. Um how long did and that how long did that last after you uh good uh, yeah, minimum six months? Minimum six months. I took my last dose, December twenty second, two thousand five, and put myself in the hospital in end of February. Uh, and for I would say into that fall. Before I st- started getting a little better, like, like, it, like it wasn't okay, six months and I'm back to perfect. You know, the whole time you're sort of bonded out and you're, you know, getting a little bit better, a little bit better. And it, it's just, it took forever because my body was so inundated with that stuff. You know, your, your brain receptors and things, uh, the endorphins that your feel good, uh, hormones, they have the same chemical shape as the opiates. So those opiates latch onto your brain receptors like a key and a key, you know, into the keyhole. Once that's filled up, nothing else can get in there. And it takes a long, the longer you take that stuff, it takes longer and longer to get off of it. And so for me, I was able to wrap myself in uh, AA meetings, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, and I'd stayed away from those places like the plague prior, fearful that if I would show up at one of these meetings. Someone go. Hey, I just was at a meeting and Shane Douglas was there, and mm-hmm. you know, and would, so it was like you felt like a rat in a corner, like there was nowhere you could turn to get anybody to go. Hey, I understand this talk, and uh, and that in its own way was was so confining. But like, when I came out of there, because I can't shut my brain off, uh, I took myself around. They tell you to do ninety meetings in ninety days. I did ninety in thirty five days because I literally drove all around Florida. Meeting to meeting to meeting, and what that did was just chewed up my time. I didn't have free time to stop and think about that stuff. And since then, you know, I've, I, like you, you'll hear people say, "Well, today James is my thirty thousandth day clean." I, I stopped thinking about that a long time ago because it just kept reminding me of it. Like, I, I don't want to think about that, nor do I want to forget it. And you know, I've, I've said all the time, if if I ever felt an urging to take that kind of garbage again. I'd immediately get to a meeting or go talk to somebody, but it's, uh, you know, for the loved ones out there, I know it seems like such an impossible thing. Cause you get this screw you, you don't know what you're talking about. You're going to get all kind of pushback, take it and just keep going with a smile on your face and keep going. Because if not, we know how that movie ends and it is a very real thing. And I'm just thrilled to have been here. My, it, it struck me when my youngest or my oldest son was in second grade. And we had moved back to Pittsburgh by then. Marriage is split up by now. And I would, every, he went to performing arts school. So every holiday they would have a Easter thing, a play. Uh, They'd have a Christmas play and it was Christmas time. So his, his class in the second grade did uh, Frosty the Snowman. And I noticed really quickly when he would come out on stage because his mother would sit as far away from me as she could. When he came out on stage, he wouldn't look for her. He'd look for me. And so he'd see him, I'm him like, a, hey, man, that's cool. And uh, he came out on the stage, and he, during the frosty snowman, had this big white puff ski jacket on him. And he came out, and he did this little dance at the front of the stage, and he backed in line. I looked at him, and I went like, that was fucking <laughs> cool, dude. And this big smile went across his face. He was as proud as a peacock. And the next second, the planet fell on my head. Because I thought, what would this boy be doing right now if I weren't here? And I shouldn't have been there. Uh, and the guilt of that was debilitating. Um, you know, but so now that's why I marvel so much at what my kids are doing. You know, Connor and his music with uh uh My son as the athlete is my much better athlete than I was at that age. Uh, I marvel at this. I watch these kids. I'm like, man, I... Like every day you're here. I tell people every morning, they'll say, hey, open my eyes today. We're still still above ground. So that's good. It's uh, And that's why. And, and not to sound corny, I'll wrap it with this. It's uh, after getting off that stuff, you go through that long, just miserable period. <clears throat> and then like one day you wake up and you go, somebody's cutting grass. Or, hey, man, the sun's really bright this morning just these crazy things you've paid zero attention to uh, for years prior. And suddenly you start smelling the grass and the flowers and the sunrises and the sunsets. And I, I still find value in all of that stuff. I know it sounds corny for the franchise character, but um, yeah, I, I just, you know, being alive is an incredible thing and, you know, having the opportunity to make tomorrow a better day for us than it was today or better than, uh, you know, made the day after that better than tomorrow. Uh, that's what we get the chance to do when you're alive. Once you're in that hole, that's all said and done. So, uh, yeah, enough said about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I always appreciate when you talk about this because I think it's, as you say, very important to sort of uh, remove the shame of it, especially in Mm -hmm. your case where you were hoodwinked into taking it in the first place with, yeah, with bad yeah. information drawn up by the company themselves. Uh, we sure. sure. Uh, we, we've got a few minutes left in this show, so I'm going to give you some news following the show. Uh, some of it amusing, <clears I'm throat> some of it sadly not very much, and it's actually <laughs> going to go to what you were just talking about before, but I'm going to give you the less important news now. Goldberg defeats a legitimately injured Triple H for the WWE Raw World title shortly after this show. Triple H and Stephanie McMahon get married for real 25th of October. Amazing Red around this time, which is a name that you don't hear very much, but I really liked Amazing Red back in the day. Oh, I did too. Badly injures his already injured knee in Japan and requires (laughs) some nine months off. Now, Mm. this is the most amusing of the stories, is Randy Savage, shortly after the show, releases Be a Man his rap record where he releases a diss song on Hulk Hogan and a tribute to Mr. Perfect during an interview on MTV Savage said the fans are demanding it, especially when you get to the hip hop culture. We got him boxed in right now. This is him talking about uh, Hulk Hogan. And I think the fans want to see Hogan and Savage fight it out one more time at WrestleMania. He specifically mentions afterwards. And then here's the weirdest thing. Randy Savage <clears throat> on the same night as the NWA TNA pay-per-view where you main have entered, did not have a good night <clears throat> because he was scheduled to uh, do a concert at a place called Mr. B's, a restaurant nightclub in Treasure Island, Florida. Uh, Bubba the Love Sponge, who was Hogan's best friend, which takes him uh, makes him uh, Savage's worst enemy. I'm sorry, this is uh, directly from Wrestling Observer Newsletter, so I have to do the spelling errors as well. <laughs> took it upon himself to ruin the show. So essentially what Bubba did was get loads of his fans to go to the show and boo Randy Savage while he was miming his rap record, his lip-syncing it. Oh, and to make oh, things Jesus. even worse, the CD skipped.
1: Oh, Jesus! So,
0: amazing. <clears throat> and um, Oh, my Lord. Yeah, did oh, anything else go wrong? <laughs> well, it all, it all went wrong. In fact, even worse, some of the people who turned up started shouting New Bane and you crapped your pants at Gold's Gym at Randy Savage. Which I don't know what that story is, but apparently Randy must yeah. have known. <laughs> so, yeah. That, um, <clears throat> after three songs, Randy Savage got very annoyed, down the mic, stormed off, and ended the concert. So, incredible, Yo. incredible scenes there. Now, uh, just while I just time-code that one, I actually have, sadly... This is sort of like the bad news to end it on, uh, I hate to say, like I did with the previous NWA TNA uh, review that we did. 2003, and you alluded to this, I don't know if it was this episode, the last NWA one, 2003 is the year that I personally remember being a horrible, horrible year for the deaths of a lot of wrestlers. And I'm going to give you a few that sort of bookend the NWA TNA pay-per-view that we were talking about before, a few weeks beforehand and afterwards. One person you won't probably know is a guy called Kent Walton, but anyone of a certain age, anyone basically older than me who watched wrestling, he was the legendary commentator of World of Sport for 33 years, I think. Started in 1955. He passed away of cancer or August mm. 24th. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is going now. Then, here's one for you. The Great Antonio. If you remember that name, he's most famous for getting his head kicked in by Antonio Inoki when he stopped, uh, when he stopped uh, cooperating in that yes. match, which was incredible. Yes, uh, Stu Hart passes away October sixteenth, and we're going to get to the um, most tragic of both of them. Road Warrior Hawk dies the nineteenth of October, but because you were mm. talking about uh, battles with your battles with OxyContin, and this won't have. Obviously gone unnoticed is Anthony Pitbull To Durante passes away 25th yeah. of September at the age of my age, in fact, 36. Um, and his wife. And his wife. Mm, uh, yes. Yeah, leaving the children alone home for several days, which is just yes a horrible, horrible story as well. I think at this point uh, we don't need to dwell on that anymore. I think it'd be nice to end the show on a nice story. About Anthony Durante, who obviously you wrestled many, many times with of oh the pit yeah. bulls and everything, but some pit bull stories to end us on.
1: Well, you know, Anthony was just a good friend, and I people ask me this, and I really do believe they ask me like, what What do I think was my best match in my career, <clears throat> or you know, my best time in the business? And I really feel that working with Anthony was that time. Uh, I was. I'd fallen into the franchise character comfortably. It fit like a glove. And uh, he was so strong, uh, just a powerful, powerful man, that he was able to throw my big ass around at 253 like I was a sack of potatoes. And so because he so trusted me, that like like a lot of times you go to the ring like hesitant because you're not sure if this guy's going to work along with you or put the same effort in, and I never had to worry that with Anthony. Uh, so like when he'd be pressing me over his head and throwing me, if you watch closely I'm upside down, taking the bump, I'd scream, beat your chest. And he would start beating his chest. It was just really, really comfortable working with him. So I started getting to the point, like, because we were working so closely together where I would just jag with him a little bit every night, you know, just to see how far I could push him and yank his chain a bit, you know? And, uh, you know, he, he I don't know if you noticed or not, but Anthony's bald. He's, we, he's not as we, well. We,
0: we like to say f- follic, folliculally challenged or something yes, like that. Yes,
1: yes, yes. He's not as follicularly gifted as some, <laughs> of, the, some of us, but he, uh, uh, so he comes down to the room and we're talking, I, you know, pop in his dress and I'm like, hey, you got a brush? I'm my hair. Start digging into his bag and he looked at him and go like, and every time, I did like five or six times and he started looking at him like, I'm like, dude, you're bald, you don't have a brush in there. It's... But he, uh, he just really a good guy, man. Uh, you know, I, I, that, it's become cliche. I say that so often, but, uh, you know, they, they, you know, my understanding is he and Gary had, you know, some really interesting jobs along the way. <laughs> I never saw that side of those guys, uh, both of them great guys. But when I heard the story about Anthony, and there was a connection to his wife because his wife was a Brazilian girl that had worked who for a guy who had started as my driver and then would later become <clears throat> the head of merchandising in ECW, uh, Damian Farron, who himself had passed away uh, six years ago, seven years ago. No, that's crazy. But he, uh, she had danced at a club that he managed. And so she started bringing him, he started bringing her to shows and uh, they fell in love and, you Know just a really beautiful girl, and uh, they you know got married, had these kids, and then you know, a couple of years later, you hear this story, and it's just so ghastly. Uh, you know, that again, like, I, I it breaks my heart that Anthony or his wife didn't know that they could reach out to me or somebody else, uh, you know, to, to get that help. And so, that's why I said, like, what I said a few minutes ago, that you know, they're. On the outward appearance, Anthony didn't need anything from anybody. Big, powerful guy, beautiful wife, beautiful family. And sometimes, as you find out, there's a lot of times when people have that big, shiny house on the hill, and you go look in the windows and there's no furniture. Uh, You know, there's an emptiness there. And uh, he, when I heard that, and then I heard about the kids, thank God they were of the age. They won't remember that. But, uh, you know, that's that's about as horrific as it gets. You know, like when you start talking about that, that kind of thing and it was, you know, getting so close to home. I mean, this was like just working its way closer and closer. Um, you know, that, like, you know, all the guys we lost in ECW and, you know, cause there really was a family aspect to that, that it, uh, it just started taking on like new parameter and, uh, you know, the, well, yeah. No, you know enough said about that. It's good, dude. All these guys gone way too soon, and why I was given the blessing of being able to survive it, I I don't know, but I won't look that gift horse in the mouth. Uh, And you know, hope to be able to be a a, a, some voice of reassurance to people out there who are in that position because it is incredibly hopeless. It's depressing. It's demoralizing, especially for people that have been successful at things and uh you know it's just give me a plan tell me do a b c d and i can get on that plan and do it it's uh it's a lot more convoluted than that and uh what's what's off there's often something at work that they're anesthetizing themselves to and a lot of times as i found out there's probably things that you're not even aware of cognizantly that that you're contributing to and, uh, it wasn't until I had a, a, a counselor tell me like, well, it sounds to me like you're, you know, trying to do this and trying to do that and saving marriage. that ain't salvageable. And just went down this washing list and my first gut reaction was like, fuck you. You don't know me. You don't, you can't say that stuff. And then I, so I'm driving home and I'm like, well, oh, he's right on that. He's right on that. He's right. That. Well, hell, he's right on everything. And that just opened my eyes a little bit to it, like to, to, you know, to, to see what it was. And so like to see like with Anthony and, and again, like how many different people we've lost both from ECW and the other federations. It's it, there was a genocide time in this business. Mm. And I, the, the good thing to come out of that is from what I understand, like I'm talking to Taz and his son and other younger mm-hmm. guys in the business that this current generation seems to have by and large learned from that. Thank God. Uh, because it would, it would be even more depressing than it already is, if it were to be all those people died at these super young ages, and there not be a moral to that story. So, you know, fortunately there is, and and uh, you know, it's uh, just every time you talk about these guys, you know, you, it, it takes you back to a place. I I wish I could step into a time machine and go back to when they were still here. Because you miss interacting with those guys and asking for the brush and things like that, <laughs> you know, it just it just made the you know made the night go by a little bit faster. Uh, but good dude, and his wife was a beautiful lady and uh, sad. Yeah. I
0: remember I spoke to Gary Wolf a couple of times, uh, interviewed him once, and I remember mm. saying. Almost euphemistically, because I like to broach these subjects, you know, with kid gloves. And I said, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was heard that in the ECW locker room that you and Anthony were the guys who could get you, uh, you, you know, you, you, uh, providers in that kind of sense. And Garen, oh, yeah, we could get you anything. He was just like completely out there. Yeah. Like, oh, don't worry. You know, we're yeah, a one stop yeah. shop, baby. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, he's, you know, I think he probably tell you the same thing, you know, being that he was in that world. Um, you know, as you can imagine, it's probably not all the guys that survived that world, you know, and coming through unscathed. Uh, but I, I, you know, he and I had a long talk about, uh, uh, you know, after the, this happened to Anthony and and the other people. And, and you know, we, we're great friends to this day. When we see each other, we can pick that conversation right up. Same type of thing. Like, you know, he, he had been in that world, submerged in that world, came into wrestling. And, you know, th- but he's still standing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still here. And, uh, you know, for the double whammy, not just, you know, that they, they could get you whatever they wanted, but they, the stuff that they were doing, uh, you know, it's, it's, but by the grace of God, right, mm-hmm. that, that, that they're still here. And I'm, I'm glad that I still have enough of those friends that I can still sit down and talk to similar experiences and experience the same stuff with but it's also like a bittersweet time to us when we talk about it, like you know, when me and Freddie are hacked together, you know, all of us, we get to Jerry uh, and, and and this will invariably come up. And I, I think it makes our remaining friendships even stronger because it's like there, there aren't many of us left uh, or as many as there should be. And uh, a realization that we got to experience something incredibly unique in wrestling that rarely existed before that hasn't existed since. And I don't think we all give it enough of, you know, we're all appreciative and thankful for it. Don't get me wrong there. I don't think we take time to slow down and think towards, Hey, thank you. Appreciate that. I had that, that that opportunity because it was an amazing amount of fun. And uh, you know, if it hadn't been for that fun that we had then, And all those great matches and angles and all the things that we did in that building, you know, if a guy named Anthony Durante and his wife had died from an overdose, and I'd never been to wrestling and never knew those guys, that wouldn't, you know, kids are in the paper, move on to the next page and the next thing. I I got the good fortune of being able to work with, you know, meet him, work with him, uh, know his wife and know what kind of people they were. And I can tell you this without hesitation. It, it, I think it would underscore like what i said earlier about the, the hopelessness of being in that situation. Both of them love their kids dearly. Um, and would have wanted both of their parents to have survived. So the fact that they were willing to, you know, in any other semblance of their life thing, and hey, it's ain't a good idea, you and I both doing this together and kids being here unsupervised uh, at that very young age, uh, You know, somewhere in the haze of that, they had lost sight of that. And, you know, I I can't think of anything that any parent on the planet would find to be more important than that. And yet that's where they were. So if you're out there and know somebody out there, please seek seek to help talk to them, do whatever you have to do to get it, because it's that's a one-way street that will end in a really, really bad place. Mm. Uh,
0: an important message to end it on as well. And that is the end of our podcast. So thank you very much, everybody, for watching. As I said, uh, as I forgot to say at the beginning of this episode, and meant to say on every episode, Shane Douglas Questions at gmail.com. If you want to submit a question for the franchise to potentially answer on a future episode, our monthly fan question episodes, we're out every Tuesday, of course. You probably know that by now. And also, we've got the YouTube channel, Shane Douglas Official. Links are in the description, you know, the Anyway, thank you very much for watching, and I'm going to give it to Shane to sign us out.
1: Appreciate you being here sitting under the learning tree and hearing about how I puked in a match and about my great friends that we lost too soon. Hopefully it didn't sound too preachy to you. Appreciate you being here at the Franchise University.